Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Beginning in verse 25. Jesus said, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Some translations can add a single cubit or inch to his height. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to bless the reading of this word and to bring revelation to us as we consider these things today. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit himself to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you are a worrier. Are you a worrier? Do you worry about things? Yeah. The Bible says, do not worry. And you look at you think, well, I'm, I'm feeling a bit worried just reading that. I worry about a lot of things. It's all about, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Has, you ever been followed by a police car? And like you're driving along and suddenly a police car is behind you? And all sorts of irrational fears. I think you've seen that. Oh, no, there's something wrong with my car. Does my light work at the back? Maybe my car... It's full of drugs. Uh, uh, <laughs> and suddenly, the police car goes off to the left. Oh, thank, thank the Lord. He's gone. Worrying about things. Uh, a letter arrives. You see, it's from the bank. You haven't opened it, but you're already you're worried. Well, what's he going to say? Uh, somebody wants to see you. Someone phones you up and says, can I, can I meet you? And you think, oh, oh what's it going to be about? Start worrying about it. Very interesting how we're wired. I, uh, I had a look uh, at an online survey. Now, these online surveys may be accurate or not so accurate, but just for fun. About, and this is just in the United Kingdom. So whether this translates internationally, better or worse, only you can tell me. But in the United Kingdom... Uh, and this was taken. This was taken in 2009. This survey. How much time per day do you think people worry per day? I'll tell you because I don't need worrying about the answer. The answer is two hours and 15 minutes per day. That seems a lot, doesn't it? 
So you might say, well, I don't worry for two hours a day. Well, maybe you're more or less than that. Oh, by the way, in case you want to do the maths, that translates across an average lifetime at six and a half years. Six and a half, and not just sleeping years, waking years. Right? Six and a half years of worry. So the idea that worry is not something to be worried about is really a very worrying thought. We ought to be a bit worried about, about worry. Because anything you do for two hours a day, which is most likely, in most cases, contrary to Jesus' commandment to you, is something we perhaps need to think about and take very, very seriously. Some people worry more than others. And I, we will take some time this morning, wherever you are on the worry scale, to um, think about how we can improve this part of our lives. And these answers we want to come bring today are, of course, from the Bible rather than from uh, psychology or from a medical uh, point of view. Uh, some of which, of course, can be very valid to help us as well. Here's a few um, quotations about worry. Oh, no, let me go back a bit. Let me just thumb back. And I have some. Let me see if I can. Oh, I need to probably just read them to you. Perhaps I don't have them on my screen. I wrote them down. Let me read these to you. Okay. First of all, Here's some quotations. Number one, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only robs today of its joy. Can I say that again? Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only ever robs today of its joy. Swedish proverb, this one coming up now. Worry gives small things large shadows. Here's a favorite one of mine. I have shared this one for years, but I found it again when I was looking up all this stuff. Worry is the interest paid on the problem you haven't got yet. Worry is like an emotional loan that you take out on the problem, and you start paying interest straight away on it. And sometimes you don't even have the problem. But you're paying interest on it anyway. In other words, things are not uh, half as bad as you imagine them to be. Here's a great one. We're more disturbed by what threatens us than what befalls us. We're more worried about things that we know are going to happen than them actually happening. We spend more energy building up to this thing we're worried about meeting someone, changing something. We're more worried the more energy is burnt up thinking about it than the actual event itself. And here's one from Thomas Jefferson, which I, I love this. How much pain they have cost us, the, e the evils which have never happened. Let me ask you today, what are the things in your life that you are worried about things which many times never actually happen. And how much investment of your life, because all you've got is your life, all you've got is your mind and your time, haven't you, and your body. That's what you've got. How much are you spending of your emotional reserve uh, because according to the statistics, it's two hours a day. How much are you spending on something that actually either is not half as bad as you think, or when you arrive at it, it's no trouble at all? Something like that. It's clearly something that Jesus wanted to talk about. 
I find it amazing, and we'll look at many scriptures in a moment here, that the Bible is worried about worry, but it is. Because it's something that, uh, that affects people very much. What does the Bible say? Let's see if we can bring up some of these. Oh, here we go. How did, how did that happen? It suddenly appeared. Okay. There we go. Okay, here they come. Number one, from the Bible, worry is usually bad for you. That's the first thing. Worry is something which is usually bad. Now, the reason why I've said usually bad is because occasionally it might be good to worry. And the Bible might occasionally encourage you. Maybe the word worry isn't the best word. But to be concerned about something. For example, uh, and in fact the Greek word for worry is much more, uh, it would be better translated to be concerned. The word worry carries a negative connotation. But for example, if you have a small child, you're looking after that small child, and you have not seen that child, you're supposed to be looking after the child, You've not seen the child now for three and a half hours. But he's somewhere around. No, you should probably be worried. Can you say amen? Sometimes it might be good to be worried. It might be good to be worried. It might be good to um, look both ways when crossing the road. That's not, that's not being disobedient to Jesus. To think about, you know, crossing the road. No, you ought to, if, if you're going to, go for a walk, you probably shouldn't go for a walk along the M11 or the M25. You should be worried about doing that. There are certain signs in life that are designed to worry us. Uh, certain things that say danger or, you know, uh, caution, like certain signs on doors or certain equipment. And it's supposed to worry you. So there are, there are that's why I've said, usually... We're supposed to, you know, there are times when we are, we should be a bit worried. But normally, normally, worry is a waste of your time and energy and shouldn't be something that features so strongly in your life. Proverbs 12 verse 25 says this, anxiety weighs down the heart. So you know that if you're worried about something, you can feel a lot heavier. Your day is ruined by it. You know that you can become stressed by it. Uh, Jesus, when reflecting on how things will be at the end of the age, but I think this is a general uh, good bit of wisdom for all, for all time and for all people. He says this in Luke chapter 21. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. And he gives a list and one of them is with the anxieties of life. So on two occasions in the Bible, we are told that anxiety is something that happens inside the heart. Now again, we're not being medical, we're not talking about the, the organ, the heart, but, but it's, a, it's an expression, isn't it? Meaning the very core of us. Anxiety, worry, weighs down your heart. And there are uh, plenty of reasons why we should be light hearted, not heavy hearted in our lives. In the parable of the sower, in Mark chapter 4 and in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about, do you, do you remember the story, the guy who goes out to sow seed and he throws seed all over the, uh, all over the ground and you will remember from the story that there are four different kinds of results. Some you know, no, no result at all. Some has no root. Some bears fruit, but it's the third one I want to mention to you today. It says that it grows at first, but then the cares or the concerns of this life grow up and choke what is growing. And that should scare us a little bit that God has incredible purposes for our lives, but our worries, our anxieties, have the power, listen to me like you never heard before, 
It ha- the, the, the anxieties of life, Jesus said, have the power to choke your fruitfulness. So that you do not become fruitful as God intended. I think that's quite an alarming thought. I think we should be a bit worried about that, but not too much. But we should be a bit worried about that. That the the concerns of life have the power to choke. In fact, the English word worry for what this is worth. The English word worry comes from a root word of the old English and the old German as well, meaning to strangle or to choke somebody. If you're worried, in very old English, it means to be choked or to be gripped by the throat. These are, not, these are not attractive descriptions of something that, according to the statistics, many people are doing for over two hours every day. So normally, worry is bad for you. Your GP would tell you that, of course, that people who become worried are prone to all kinds of you know, physical, medical issues as well. And uh, I'm not claiming to be a medic today, but issues like ulcers, and heart disease, cause you know, all sorts of mental breakdowns and depression and all these kinds of things, they, they can stem from worry. So number one, why shouldn't we worry? What does the Bible have to say? Well, we shouldn't worry and we should make priority against going to war on worry. Because normally, worry is something which is very, very bad for us. Number two, worrying accomplishes nothing. Matthew chapter 6, the little piece that we read a moment ago, verse 27, Jesus says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Who by worrying can add a single cubit to his height? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon was as fancy as these flowers are. That's my uh, translation of that. Jesus says that worry actually accomplishes nothing. By worrying, you can't make the scenario any better. Now, at the end, I'll talk about how worry can, of course, lead you to make some changes. But the, so we will deal with that. But the actual act of worrying does not, uh, does, doesn't improve anything except to make you heavier, to drain the life out of you, Jesus said, if you worry, it's not going to add any more time. It's not going to improve anything for you. So number one, worry is normally bad for you. Number two, it, it accomplishes nothing. Number three, worry is a sort of a, an atheism. If you pick up in verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then verse 30, if this is how God clothes the grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? Here's a challenge for us as as those who want to walk close to God and walk close to the Lord. Really, when we're worrying, what we're really saying is that God can't handle it. Or we're saying God's not going to handle it. It's all down to me. God's not going to do anything. I have to do everything. It's sort of what I've called here a practical atheism. That says, while while I know that God is for me and is faithful, yet I actually think, that if I were to call him right now, he's away from his office. He's not there. He's gone away on a vacation. And he's not back until the end of the month. So I better get on with this 
Because when he comes back, he'll tell me I've done well. But he's not really on the case. Now, of course, there are many things for us to do, and we will come on to this now. There are things where God has told us things that we should do, and if we don't do them, then, of course, uh, we can end up in some trouble. But in all our worry, and, and of course, when we think about the future, when we think about how things are going to be, it's very revealing that for many of us, we tend to think of it in the negative. That actually a pessimism or a cynicism seems to rule in our hearts more than an optimism. Uh, this week, we got a new bit of electric equipment in our house. It arrived yesterday from eBay. Hallelujah. It was cheap and it came quick. So I'm a bit shaken up today. Not only that, but it promised that you just pressed a few buttons and it would work. That's what it said. And guess what happened? We pressed a few buttons and it did indeed work. I want to tell you, I was absolutely shocked. And actually, standing here now, I still don't quite believe this really happened. Because although it said, press a few buttons and it will work, my thought will be, no, no, this is not true. I had a kind of a pessimistic approach to these sorts of things. It's amazing how our hearts are more inclined to think of the negative than, than to be optimistic. I guess that's something about the, about the human nature. Jesus takes two uh, perspectives as he, as he teaches here in Matthew chapter 6. And this is the first one. We'll come on to the second one in a moment. That if you worry, what you're really saying is that God is not to be trusted. I can't trust him. It's not going to be okay. Now, I don't know whether God was really all that interested in my electrical equipment. But in terms of the big things in life, let's talk about the big things in life. Where your life's going to go. What your health is going to be. How you're going to... Uh, Enjoy the prosperity, and I use the word prosperity with a small p, of this life. Who you're going to be connected with? What form of ministry are you going to be fulfilled in? Because God has called everyone to the ministry. Your career is in the kingdom. Your pay packet may come from some other place, and 40 hours of your life may be spent some other place, but your career is in the kingdom. When we think about the big things in life, God can be trusted. And I want to challenge you right now, not at the end of this uh, message, but right here in the middle of, the, of this message, to ask yourself, have I, do I really trust God or not? And if I really do trust God, why does my mouth say something else? I can sing songs like, you know, I, uh, you're going to be my, my, my peace and I worship you. But my mouth is revealing the overflow of my heart, which suggests that I've got to do it all by myself. And right here in the middle of this message, rather than at the end, I challenge you to say to God, Lord, please will you help me here? Because I want to be a person that... that that walks with you and believes that you are shaping my life and that all things are going to be okay. I want you to go to keep your finger in Matthew 6, but let's look at Philippians chapter 4, where we begin to see what the Bible says about how we combat these worries. Philippians chapter 4. And lots of you will know this verse really well, huh? but I want to bring maybe something fresh out of it for you. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Have you ever read that and thought, Lord, you have got to be kidding me. Don't be anxious about anything. 
What am I going to do all day if I'm not anxious about things? But let's read on. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God and the and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Say that with me, your hearts and your minds. Okay, so this is the area that we're talking about here. Your heart and your mind. Now, how do we split those up? I'm not quite sure. But your heart, the very center of you, how you feel. And your mind, how you think. You may dispute that they might interact a bit more, but just go with me for now. The way you feel and the way you think. (coughs) The Bible is interested in the way you feel and the way you think. I'll say it again. The Bible is interested in the way you feel and the way you think. And sometimes the way we feel and the way we think need to change. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but bring it to the Lord in prayer. And it's not just prayer that we have to do. Because many people will end that verse there. But we need to carry on reading to get the full package of it. Verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen when we are not anxious about anything, but in everything we thank God and pray about the problems that we have. In other words, the Bible says, take away worry and replace it with prayer and thanksgiving. And if you remove worry and you replace it with prayer and thanksgiving, that equals trust. Now God does not, listen, listen, God does not promise to guard your heart and your mind. He promises to guard your heart and your mind if you and me will replace anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving. It doesn't work any other way. doesn't matter what church you're in. doesn't matter who prays for you. doesn't matter what songs you sing. doesn't matter which version of the Bible you read from. Or whether you have the entire library of Joyce Meyer on your bookshelf. Makes no difference unless you actually do this. But there's going to be more. But, so the first thing, how do we, how do we overcome worry? How do we get God to guard our heart and mind? One, we replace worry with prayer and thanksgiving. If you'll do that, really do that, then God will guard your heart and your mind. That sounds like good news. Can you say amen? But there's more. Let's read the next verse because it's not just prayer. Finally, verse 8, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these or such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace, there he is again, will be with you. Did you just see what we just read? First of all, you want to get worry out of your life? Number one, replace the anxiety with prayer and thanksgiving. But it's not just that. Then you have to do the next bit. Whatever is lovely, think about that. Now for many people, by the way, including me sometimes, that would be a colossal change in anyone's life. 
to put that into actual practice, whatever is pure, whatever is of a good report, think about that. Do you, have you got any idea how practical the Bible is with things like this? Bring me someone in the depths of angst in their mind and I will show you someone who does not do that. They think about evil things. They think about how much people don't like them. Hello? They think about how rubbish they feel about themselves. They think about how people owe them more. And this one's not doing a good enough job. And that one's not doing a good enough job. And my, my boss is rubbish. My pastor's rubbish. Of course, only if he came from another church. But this church is not as good as the other one. This workplace, uh, if only they, uh, if only they. Now, when I said earlier, God cares about how you think and feel. That doesn't mean God agrees with how you think and feel. He wants to change how we think and feel. So how do we get rid of anxiety? Do we just say, Lord, I'm just not going to worry anymore. I promise you, you pray that, you'll be worried before you get back to your seat. Especially if a police car follows you home. And then you say, my car is full of drugs. Is there a gun in the boot? How are you going to get rid of worry? Number one, you're going to replace anxiety with prayer. When you do that, that equals trust. But then, then, you are going to use that same energy that burns away in worry and fear and stress. And you're going to turn that energy into saying, Lord, I am going to think about good things. I am not going to mind read people. I've said this many times, and it's one of the things that we try to encourage people so much. Well, so-and-so looked at me in a funny way. That must mean that this. Or so-and-so didn't phone me. That must mean this. And we, we create, we, we have the ability to Mind read other people. Let me assure you, you cannot mind read people. But so many people are living in a, in a fantasy and it's a wicked, dark fantasy of their own mind that perceives others to be thinking X, Y and Z when they're not thinking at all. Who was it who once said, Oscar Wilde, you can't quote him too often. But he said, if we really knew what people were thinking about us, the biggest shock of all would be that they don't think about us at all. <laughs> that would be the most upsetting thing. Not that they thought wicked things, just they didn't think at all. Think about what is pure. Think about what is noble. What is right. What is lovely. What is admirable. How much of the stuff that goes through my brain is not lovely and not admirable and is not worthy of praise? How much? Quite a lot. So I have to guard my heart. And if I start to guard my heart, then the God of peace will start to guard my heart and my mind. Number four, worry distracts from God's best. That's the other direction that Matthew chapter 6 takes. The first direction is the early one that says, you know, uh, aren't you thinking that God is going to help you? Jesus says. He clothes the lilies. He feeds the birds. Don't you believe God cares about you? But then, the chapter or the, or, the, or the 
sermon, because part of the Sermon on the Mount, then takes another little direction. And Jesus says, the other problem with worry is it's a distraction. In the Greek, the literal word for concern or worry is to have a divided mind, actually. Mate, it's two words glued together. Now, that doesn't always give us a good, a good definition, but just, it'll just help us today. A divided mind. When we worry, we're in the future. And we're quite often in a future that is terrifying. And as Jefferson said, maybe a terrifying future that's never even going to come. But Jesus said it can be a distraction. He said the pagans run after these sort of things. They get worried about how everything's going to be. You're supposed to be different, he says. You're supposed to trust your father. You're supposed to put first his kingdom and know that somehow or other, everything is going to work out all right. Because he's going to add to you all of these other things as well. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. Takes us away from from God's best. Just thumb back into Luke chapter 10. Here's a well-known story from the Bible of um, Martha, Mary, Lazarus. It's the story where one of the sisters is in the kitchen and the other one is sitting at Jesus' feet. He says, um, Martha opened her home to Jesus. In verse 39 of Luke 10, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I always feel sorry for her because, you know, someone has got to, someone's got to make the tea, haven't they? So she's making the tea. And, um, or the falafel, whatever it was. And she came to him and said, Lord, and I want you to see these verses in, in new ways. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Don't you care? <laughs> Lord, why? Listen. She says to him, Lord, why aren't you worried about what I'm worried about? Lord, come on now. I know you're Lord, but let me just help you out here. There are things to worry about. You know what I'm saying? You ain't worrying about them. You don't care. Lord, why aren't you stressed like me? And then she was stressed and got to get it all done and getting this out of the oven and getting that. And she's looking and there's, there's her sister, not stressed. But, but it's worse. She thinks that Jesus perhaps ought to be a bit stressed as well. Lord, don't you care about this? Now, look what he answers her. Look what he answers her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. By the way, that wasn't a word of knowledge. She was clearly upset. So don't put this down as a revelation. Probably he could see from her face that she was stressed. He says, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needful. Or only uh, one thing. What's the alternative reading? Few things are needed, only, only one. And Martha has chosen what is better. Say this after me. Worry is misplaced care. Much of that which we worry about is a care that we shouldn't be caring about. He says to her, you are worried about many things. You want me to care about what you are worried about. Listen, I want you to really get this, because it's, it's big. Jesus says to her, I love you, but that doesn't mean that I am going to worry about what you are worrying about. 
And the reason I'm not going to worry about what you are worrying about is because there's nothing to worry about. And you can come to God, you see, and when we talked about when you have a worry, we must bring it to God in prayer. We do not mean by that, God! <laughs> come on now! <laughs> because most times God would say to us, don't worry, be happy. And that can happen in human relationships too. Where you have a friend or you're, who you're married to or, or your daughter or whoever and they want you to be as worried about what they're worried about as you. And if you're not, you're in trouble. And that can happen at a human level but it mustn't ever happen at a divine level. God, why aren't you worried about this? No, because certain worries are just misplaced cares. Okay. Let me bring some, some conclusions. One more verse to look at. The book of Proverbs, chapter 6. Round about in the middle of your Bible. After the Psalms, before Isaiah. We've talked about prayer and guarding our mind. Now let's talk about one final thing which is important in the whole area of combating worry and that is planning. Planning. While the Bible does not encourage us in any way to have anxiety, it doesn't encourage us to worry. That doesn't mean it doesn't encourage us to plan ahead. And one of the reasons why people become stressed is because they do not plan ahead. In other words, they do not mix wisdom with their faith. And all of a sudden, they are now uh, hitting the wall because they did not plan ahead to avert the problem. This isn't terribly... Uh, uh, <laughs> appropriate perhaps, but the Bible decides that there is one animal that is much smarter than me and you. And that animal is, wait for it everyone, the ant. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. It's a good opening phrase. Sluggard, by the way, is me and you. Have a look at the ant. Consider its ways and be wise. Now I want you to think about this just before you kill it later. When that ant is crawling around uh, up on your shoulder. Just before you send him into eternity. Or for a bit of a fly through the air. Have a little think and think this guy is actually a bit smarter than me. Because... Verse 7, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler. In other words, it's not taking any advice from anyone. It's not taking any commands. It's just an ant. But yet, verse 8, it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The ant is sometimes smarter than me because the ant knows instinctively that there could be trouble ahead. Therefore, I must store up stuff now to use then. Joseph did the same when he managed the famine and, uh, and the prosperity of Egypt, that one would come first and then famine and he used wisdom he did not break the famine with a prayer but he merely learnt from the ant learnt from the Holy Spirit anyway and he began to prepare ahead of himself look if you have got an exam tomorrow 
and you are, have not revised or done any work, you should worry. And there's just nothing you can do. There's no miracle of memory. Lord, help me to remember the book I have not read. <laughs> You're in the wrong church for that. The Bible says that one of the ways to eliminate worry, really, is to be ready, if you like. And sometimes people are worried because they are not ready. Can you say amen? Am I telling the truth? Anyone got an exam tomorrow? Feeling a bit stressed about it now? Right, Tuesday, yeah. You better go quick. One time we were doing cap money. Right at the very first cap money we did. And uh, the person who I'm about to talk about is, is not here at all, so I'm not embarrassing anyone. We looked at her finances and we worked out that in seven months or something from that date, she would not be able to pay her rent. And Lee Tilbury, who's very, very good at this, and Jane was there as well, just looking through these figures... Sue Grant as well, helping out. And said, do you know what? In seven months, you're not going to be able to pay your rent. It's, you know, you're going to run out of money. Now, what could have happened is that girl could not have come to that course. And what could have happened is seven months later, she could be sitting in this room right now. And at the end, we say, anyone need prayer? And come and stand here. Oh, God, help me. When in fact... A bit of ant work would have done the job. Do you, do you understand? Thinking like an ant would have done the job. Getting ready in advance was the solution. Rather than a miraculous supply of wisdom, money, knowledge, whatever, you know, right at the end. And I want to encourage us that as much as we believe in the power of the supernatural, God does not provide the supernatural because we do not do the natural. Yes? Well, I didn't, you know, I, uh, I didn't book the... Um, I know we're supposed to be going on holiday, darling, but I don't know how to tell you this, but I didn't actually book the flight tickets. And the Bible says that Philip the evangelist flew to his destination and we're going to believe God for that. You know, I know I said that I paid for the ferry, but yeah, I didn't, you know, and I just thought what we'd do is when we get to Dover, we would just walk on the water because the Bible says that Peter did that. Well, no, 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 no. You want to worry at that point. No, planning. Planning ahead will help you out a lot. I want to just put in one rider just as a finish that sometimes the ability to plan ahead can also be a source of worry. Jane knows how I tick and Jane knows that I, my brain works ahead. I'm always ahead. And so I think about what could happen ahead. And sometimes that can bring anxiety too. Because I'm further down the track sometimes than, than uh, sometimes the people I'm chatting with. I'm, I've thought through what, what is coming. And sometimes if that doesn't lead to preparation, that can actually lead to more anxiety, can't it? So, um, hey, you're really having a bit of a session, aren't you, with Dr. Cavana today? But I, I hope it helps you. But thinking ahead will help you. No one is late except by lack of preparation. No one is unprepared if they have prepared. And the Bible encourages us to have wisdom, diligence, to work hard, to get ourselves ready for the challenges ahead. Two more 
verses. We don't need to look at them because you know them all so well. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says this. Cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you. I want to finish by just reminding you that God cares about your heart and your mind. Yes, he cares about international global evangelism. He cares about the fate of the nations. But he also cares for you. You. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. If it was Phil Shaw preaching, he'd say, cast. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. Because he cares for you. There's all sorts of reasons to cast them onto him because he's big enough, he can deal with it. But the one the Bible chooses to give us is give them to him because he wants them. Because he cares for you. I wonder if there's any mums or dads here in the room today or listening online. And you see your children or even your sister suffering or some such thing. And if it were possible, you would take their problems onto you. You see the suffering of your son or your daughter. If, if you could, you would say, Lord, let me go through that. I'll take that. Well, we can't do that. And in a sense, God cannot break into our lives and take our problems onto him. He encourages us, why don't you come to me? Give to me, some of the bigger burdens of your life. And with that, we conclude with Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. In the Christian life, it's not that there isn't a burden. And it's not that there isn't a yoke. It's just that it's easy. And the burden is light. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes we would love you to leave us some feedback God bless and goodbye